What's up, everybody? This is Daniel Atondo. I'm the lead pastor at Eden Church, and we're so excited that you've joined us on the Eden Podcast. The next 30 minutes, we hope, will add value to your life, deepen your connections to others, but most importantly, we want to help you grow in your faith. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Today, we're beginning a brand new teaching series called At the Movies. Movies are stories about the human experience that shape the way that we think, that shape who we are, and maybe more importantly than anything else, they shape what we value. And you may know this to be true. I know it's true. When I was a kid, my favorite movie growing up was the movie The Sandlot. You may have heard of it. It became a cult classic, but it was a story about a kid moving into a new neighborhood, didn't have friends, but he found community among a group of kids who were absolutely fanatical about baseball, and he lived the best summer of his life. And from that point forward, after I saw that movie, that is what I wanted my group of friends to look like, and that is what I wanted every single summer all throughout middle school to look like for me. I wanted to have a friend that was that good at baseball, Benny the Jet Garcia, or Rodriguez. (laughs) But you may have had a similar experience, right? Like maybe there was a movie you watched that like connected deeply with your story, and it informed what you valued throughout life. Maybe it influenced the type of career that you wanted to have, or maybe the type of marriage that you wanted to have, or the type of family that you wanted to have, or the type of person that you wanted to be. All of us know that movies and these stories have the potential to, potential to shape what we value. And so each week throughout this series, we're going to look at these powerful movies about the human experience and how these stories intersect with God's truth and God's vision for our life. And so today, we're going to be looking at The Black Panther. This movie was huge when it was released. It was amazing. And a lot of people even think that it was the best superhero movie that has ever been produced. And really what it did is it helped to redefine what it meant to be a superhero because it did give vision to young African-American boys and girls that they could be seen in this light from the public perspective, that they could have the type of influence that would change the world and impact communities for good. And so you guys just watched the opening clip of the movie, and it tells the story of an African nation called Wakanda, and they possessed this resource called vibranium, and vibranium gave them the potential to be the most innovative and the most advanced civilization in the entire world. But the problem is that Wakanda is this hidden country by choice. And they and their vibranium, their resources, have remained closed off to the rest of the world. And here's the question. Here's the question. It's the same question that we heard the little boy ask his father at the end of the video. Why remain hidden if what we have could help? Why keep to ourselves a resource that could help others? And I think really the question is not if they could change the world, but what it would cost them to do it, and is the cost something that they were willing to pay? And this is the tension throughout the entire movie that T'Challa, Black Panther, faces. Does he use what he has to help a world that's in chaos, even if it means disrupting his own way of life? And so this morning, that is the question that we're going to really battle with. Today, we're going to talk about when comfort keeps us from compassion. When comfort keeps us from compassion. Some of you may be really nervous as I share with you the subject of what we're talking about because you think that I'm going to tell you why money is bad, why prosperity is evil, why you should never go on vacation to Hawaii again in your life, and you need to give all your money to the poor. 
But that's not what we're going to talk about. Because I don't believe that's true. Money's not evil. Rest is good. Comfort is a gift. And addressing poverty in our world is an opportunity. It's not an obligation. And so today we're going to talk about when comfort keeps us from compassion. And we're going to be in the New Testament. The New Testament is that second half of the Bible that talks about the life of Jesus and the development of the early church. And we're going to be looking at one of the four mini biographies that we find in the New Testament. It was written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a doctor. He was a historian. And he spent a lot of time, a lot of years researching the life of Jesus, accumulating accounts about his life, comparing stories as he found them. And he would interview people who had firsthand accounts of Jesus's life. And he put together this mini biography about the ministry of Jesus. And where we pick up this morning is a portion of Jesus's life where he's having a conversation with a Jewish leader who wants to know how little he has to do to follow the law to still be considered someone who treats his neighbor with respect. And so he asks Jesus', Jesus questions related to that, and Jesus tells him a story. And this is the story that Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. He begins. He says, A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. Have you ever been in a part of town that you know you're not supposed to be in? Have you guys ever ended up in one of those types of situations? My wife and I actually spent the formative months of our relationship in a part of town that we were never supposed to be in. It was called Union Avenue. It's located in Bakersfield. This street is literally filled with pimps and prostitutes and drug addicts and drug dealers and people who struggle with mental health and violent crimes and, uh, and a lot of displaced families that maybe some people have use the term to describe them as homeless. And we were part of a ministry that fed a lot of these people, encouraged them, prayed for them, and then got them connected to some of the organizations in our city that could help them with some of the problems that they were going through. But one of the things that we knew is that we were not supposed to be on this street very often, especially late at night. And Kayla, for the first few weeks, didn't even tell her dad that she was going out there with me to be a part of it. And I didn't know that. Lonnie, in case you're listening... I didn't know that. I was an innocent bystander in the whole situation. But I remember we became very aware of how dangerous this portion of Bakersfield was one morning when we were unloading some bags of food and we were getting out of the car. And I remember we were like parked in what they call uh, is a little taco villa. That's kind of a popular Mexican chain in Bakersfield. And, uh, and these two guys were arguing with one another. And the argument escalated, and finally one guy grabbed into his pants, and he pulled out a gun, and he started pointing at the other guy. I said, Kayla, get in the car. We're out of here. <laughs> That's as far as our conviction led us to go, and we took off. But I remember how dangerous it felt when we came face-to-face -face in this part of town that we knew we were not supposed to be. And this is really the type of street that we find this guy who's been beaten up, who's been robbed, who's been left for dead. Jesus is telling this story about a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a 15-mile road, and this was a notoriously dangerous road in the ancient world. And he said this man was beaten, bruised, robbed, and left for dead. And I wonder how many of us this morning, maybe we've never shared in that experience, maybe you've never been beat up before, maybe you've never been jumped or hazed or or, or bullied at school, but I wonder if the same way that Jesus is using to describe 
the physical condition of this man, you came in this morning with that same emotional state. Maybe there are some of you this morning that have had a rough week. There are some of you that this summer has just been atrocious in your jobs and in your career. Maybe there are some of you who have been battling in your marriage, trying to keep it alive, and you're still going over the same old battles that you've been walking through year after year. And this morning, you showed up to this community feeling beaten up, bruised, robbed of your life, and feeling as though maybe you're coming to the end of your story. And I want you to know a few things. If you came in here that morning, number one, you need to know that we as a community love and appreciate and value who you are. More importantly, there is a God who loves you deeper than you could possibly imagine. And every single one of the problems that you're facing is not big enough for the God that we serve here in this community. And number three, you didn't end up into this, in this place by accident. You are here for a reason. You, for whatever reason, God has orchestrated the details of your life so that you would be here in this place to hear this story and this message of a God who loves you deeply. And so we see that Jesus is describing this man on this road who had been beaten up, who'd been robbed. And really, I think that Jesus is telling this story and he's setting it up for a hero, a hero to emerge and to show us the type of person that he always dreamed that we would become. But before we see that, we're going to see that there are a few other scenarios that happen before we see someone step into the story the way that God would have them. And the first scenario that we see is when the comfort of our calendar keeps us from compassion. When the comfort of our calendar keeps us from compassion. In verse 31, he says, By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, and he passed by them, or he passed him by. I like to get honest at church every once in a while. I don't do it every week. We try not to do that every week. We try not to put that as an expectation for you every week. But every now and then I try to get honest. And I want to share some, some things about where I'm at in life right now. Uh, the first is I want you to know that I have stayed away from social media for a few reasons. Number one is that I feel like social media for me, not for you, but for me, has been a serious distraction in my life. Because I have developed this habit where like, I check my phone without even, it's like this phantom thing that happens inside of me. I left my, my wife and I went on vacation. I left my phone at the house and I was still grabbing in my pants, looking for my phone, thinking that I had like some notification blinging off of my phone. So I have like taken a step back from social media because it's a distraction. But the other reason I think that I have become disillusioned by social media is because sometimes, I don't know about you, this may just be me, but don't you ever feel overwhelmed by the amount of problems that you see on social media? Don't you ever feel overwhelmed by all of your friends who are going through issues and all of the things that are going on in the world? And, and, and maybe you are not like me, but maybe there was a moment where you thought, I don't even have time to care about other people's problems in the world. And sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I don't even feel like I have the emotional energy to care about what's happening in other people's world. And that's why I think that I understand the priest in this story more than I've ever understood him before. Because I know when we read it for the first time, all of us want to judge him, right? What a loser. He comes face to face with this person who's in need and he walks right by them. But can you tell me how many times you have ever had the experience while you're scroll scrolling on Facebook and you have a friend 
that is in deep need and they started a GoFundMe account because they need this life-altering surgery. And some of us just do this, right? We just keep swiping. We don't even click the link to like hear the explanation because some of us are so focused and so committed to our own calendars that it keeps us sometimes from engaging in the suffering of the people that are right around us. Now, I'm not saying that every need is a calling. I'm not telling you that every time you read of someone who's having surgery or starting a GoFundMe account so that you can pay for their college books, you need to step into that story. Okay, I'm not saying that, but I am saying that sometimes some of us have become so committed to the calendars in our phones that we don't even have time to care about the problems that other people are walking through. And I think that was where this priest was. Now, we don't know. He may have not just wanted to be a part of this man's solution in any way. He may have had something else he was trying to do. But all we know is that he didn't give himself the amount of time to stop and even see what was happening with this man. He saw him from a distance, and he completely avoided him. He probably didn't even slow down the pace of his walking. And then Jesus introduces us to a different scenario. It's not just about when our calendar, the comfort of our calendar keeps us from compassion, but maybe it's when the comfort of our capacity keeps us from compassion. The next verse, verse 32, says, A temple assistant walked over, and he looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. I don't know if you guys recognize the name Kevin Carter. Kevin Carter, he was a Pulitzer Prize-winning photographer, when he took a picture of a little girl in South Sudan who was being stalked by vultures on the brink of starvation. This is the picture. He came home. That was in 1993, March of 1993. He came home, brought the photograph back with him. It became popular. Eventually, he won a Pulitzer Prize for that photograph in the following year, 1994. As the picture became more and more prevalent, people asked a very simple but natural question, they said, what happened to the little girl? And the painful response that Kevin Carter had to give every time he was asked that question was, I don't know. I don't know what happened to her. Now, before you judge Kevin Carter, you have to understand that he was part of a group of people who were out in this area who were told that you never get involved in the lives of the subjects of your photograph. And so he didn't do anything. He came face to face with this girl suffering, with her pain, and he didn't do anything. Three months after he won the Pulitzer Prize, he committed suicide. He made a decision that he was going to remain in the comfort of his capacity before he had compassion on this person's life. Now, I'm not saying he didn't have compassion in his heart, but there was some limitation in his life that told him he wasn't going to step into this person's story. There was something inside of him that told him he couldn't do what maybe his heart was telling him he wanted to do. And I think that that really is a description of perhaps the man who did a little bit more than the priest. He was a temple assistant. He walked over to the man. He got close. He got inside his circle. He saw the pain firsthand. And at some point, he made the decision that what was happening with this man's life was more than he could carry on his own. And so he responded the same way as the priest. He saw his suffering, but he kept walking. 
And I wonder if that has maybe been the habit of some of us in our lives. That maybe there is something that we feel like maybe we were supposed to do, but the closer we get to it, the more difficult it looks as we step into that space, the easier it is for us to back out of the solution. And I think that for every single one of us, there are always going to be a million things that keep us from stepping into other people's pain. There are always going to be a million reasons why you cannot do it. There are always going to be a million reasons why you don't have the capacity at this season. What you will have to choose is whether or not you want to limit yourself by your capacity or you want to use it as an opportunity to grow your capacity. He allowed for the comfort of his capacity to keep him from his compassion. But then we see Jesus give a third and final example of when our compassion pushes us past our comfort. In verse 33, it says, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I'm here. In 1996, there was a young woman who was 18 years old who showed up to, a, to peacefully protest a KKK rally that was being hosted in Ann Arbor, Michigan. At one point, there was a Klansman who found himself in the group of protesters. And when the guy with the bullhorn saw the Klansman in the wrong group, he yelled out, kill the Nazi. And as soon as those words rang out over these protesters, chaos ensued. Mob mentality took over, and everyone in the crowd began to beat him, kick him, hit him with their signs, punch him. And all of a sudden, a young 18-year-old African-American girl named Keisha Johnson threw herself over this man, and every punch and every kick and every hit that was intended for this Klansman hit Keisha Thompson. This is a picture of when compassion overrides our desire for comfort. This is a picture of what it looks like to sacrifice your own life for the sake of someone else. And this is a picture of what the Good Samaritan did for this Jewish man who had been beaten, robbed, and left for dead. And the historical significance of this is that a Samaritan was probably the least likely person in this context to help a Jew. A Samaritan was part of a racially segregated people group in the ancient Middle East who were primarily marginalized by Jewish people. And Jesus uses this man as the hero of this story. Not the priest, not the pastor, not the church planter, but the Samaritan. Verse 33 says that he felt compassion for this man. So he stepped into this man's pain. He got bloodied. He bandaged him. He used his own resources that he had prepared in case something happened to him on this trip. He used his own resources to serve this person, to care for him, his time, his money. He was willing to take on debt for someone else. And I think sometimes the difference between action and inaction is the degree of compassion we feel when we see someone else's suffering. 
And I think maybe one of the greatest tools of self-discovery is to ask yourself this one simple question. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? What is that thing that when you see happening in the world disrupts your soul more than anything else? What is that thing that when you see happening, you can't even go to bed that night because it just irritates you to the core? I think when you can answer that question, you will see something worth your compassion that will lead you out of your comfort and oftentimes into your calling. That when you can identify that one thing in your life that breaks your heart, it will lead you out of your comfort into compassion and into your calling. Jesus wraps up the story in verse 36. He says, now which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Mercy is the act of withholding judgment when someone has earned the punishment. And one thing that I have realized in life is that that is one of the most uncomfortable spaces to be in, to not give someone what they have worked for, to not give someone what they have earned or what they deserve, because it goes against our natural sensibilities. Like if someone does something to cause a reaction, it is most appropriate to allow for that reaction to take place. And so what Jesus said to this man, he said, go and demonstrate mercy. Go and show mercy. He didn't say, if the man has earned it, you can show mercy, because that's not mercy. He didn't define mercy by his calendar. He, he didn't say, if you have time to be merciful. He didn't define it by his capacity. He didn't say, if you're strong enough, show mercy. Jesus didn't give any sort of qualifiers when he told the man what to do at the end of the story. He said, just go and be a merciful person. And that is what I love about Jesus' advice. And that's what I hope you hear today. Is that this is not, when we talk about being in this environment, when we talk about what God dreams that we would be, we are not talking about going and doing more stuff. We're not talking about adding more to your to-do list because you are all overly busy already. You live in Silicon Valley. You're all stressed. We all go see counselors on a regular basis, right? We all need retreats. He's not saying go and do more. It's not about what you do, but Jesus was saying it's all about who you're becoming in the process. He's saying go and be merciful. This morning, I wonder, what would mercy and compassion look like for you this week? Can you ask yourself that question? What would mercy and compassion look like in my marriage? What would mercy and compassion look like toward my children? What would mercy and compassion look like to the person who needs my forgiveness? What would mercy and compassion look like to the person that I look at in the mirror every single morning? What would uh, mercy and compassion look like towards someone who I want to enact revenge on? 
I want you to ask yourself that question this week. What would mercy and compassion look like for me? And one thing I heard someone say, a pastor say, he said, we're never more like Jesus than when we allow for our compassion to push us out of our comfort. There's a passage in the Old Testament in the first part of the Bible that's a prophecy about a person named Jesus. It's Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 and 6. It says, But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. And all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Jesus loved us so much that he allowed for his compassion to override his desire for comfort. And if there has ever been any question about your own value in this world, if you have ever wondered what your life is worth, I want you to know that there was a person named Jesus who loved you so much that he would leave the comfort and the beauty of being connected to God to come into this world to create a way for you back into a place of peace. He did whatever it took to provide hope. And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to step into faith for the first time if that has never been part of your story. Maybe you've been in Eden for a while. You've been exploring what it means to follow Jesus. You've been connected to this community, but you have never felt prompted to take the decision and to take that leap of faith for the first time. But this morning, after the week that you've had, you realized that in your heart you are ready for that step. Maybe mentally you are not there, but in your heart you feel God prompting you to take that step. Maybe you're new to this community, but you know that you being here is no accident. It is not by accident that you saw our advertising or our marketing around your neighborhood this week. How many pieces of mail do you throw away without ever looking at it? It's no surprise or no accident that you saw our marketing on social media. And this is just confirmation that there has been a God that has been knocking at the door of your heart. And this is the last straw. And you showed up and you came here because God wants you to hear this message. And maybe there are just some of you today that there have been so many things about your life that have fallen apart, that have not worked out the way that they were supposed to work out, and you need help reshaping your heart. And for the first time, you were open to God being a part of that process. If that's you this morning, I want to lead you in a prayer, asking God to step into the story that is happening in your heart. And this morning, I want to challenge you to invite him in. The Bible says that God will never force himself on you. But he's always there, knocking, reminding you that he loves you, wanting you to remember what he's done for you in the past. He's always there, tapping at the door of your heart. And if that's you this morning, I want to lead you in a prayer, and I want to encourage you to pray this in your heart. And what I'm going to ask everyone else to do is for us to close our eyes and to bow our heads. And if you are here this morning and you have never made a decision to begin following Jesus, I want to invite you to repeat after me 
in your heart. You don't have to do this out loud. But you can repeat this prayer after me, and there's nothing special about this prayer. It's just you talking to God right now. God, today I know that I'm not where I want to be. And I don't know how to get there. I need your help to help me find my purpose. I need you to help me to let go of all the things in my life that are destroying me from the inside out. Today I want to turn from the sin in and around me and I want to begin following you. Today I surrender my life to you. I invite you into this heart that needs healing and I want to trust you with my life to transform it into something of significance. God, will you help me to follow you from this point forward? In Jesus' name, I believe.